Hello, I'm Vicky Wickram-Ratner, a partner in the Global Employment Team at Allen & Overy, and a very warm welcome to everyone who has joined our call today from across the world. It's a beautiful sunny day here in London, and hopefully it is where you are too. Um, we're particularly appreciative for those of you who are about to embark on the Easter weekend and have chosen to join as you are doubtless busy clearing up matters before the holiday. Um, if you haven't muted your line, it, it would be really helpful if you could um, mute your lines by pressing star six now. Many thanks. So this is the third in our series of global calls looking at the workplace developments and risks associated with COVID-19. Our previous calls were recorded and we're recording this call too. Um, details of where you can find all of these recordings will be circulated to you after the Easter break. I'm thrilled to be joined today by several of my global employment colleagues, many of whom you'll now be quite familiar with if you have joined previous calls. Um, we have Sylvia Bowser from Spain, Marco Berendt from Germany, Livio Bisotto from Italy, Gilles Dalagnol from Luxembourg, Brian Jeb from the US, Arnold Kaiser from the Netherlands, Olivier Picoret from France, Inga van der Ecken from Belgium, and we have a special guest speaker today, Helen Powell from our UK pensions team. So on to today's agenda. As with our previous calls, we're going we're going to start with a roundup of Sorry, could I just ask um, whoever is not muted on their line, if you wouldn't mind just pressing star six to mute now, that would be very helpful. Thanks. We're going to start with a roundup of any interesting developments over the past week, and then we're going to focus on five primary areas. We're going to talk about some of the practical issues that are coming up in the context of arrangements where some or all of the workforce have had their employment arrangements temporarily suspended, with employees in effect being put on a form of leave. This is referred to as furlough in the US and in the UK. And it's a phrase that many of us hadn't heard of um, before this crisis. We're going to talk about recent hires and some difficulties or changes to practice that might be coming up in that field. The topic of executive pay, I'm sure, went to escape you. It's been a hot one this week as public opinion the media and some regulators have started to focus on the extent to which senior business leaders are sharing in some of the pain caused by the crisis. And keeping up the theme of pay arrangements, we'll also look at pensions and what's happening in that space. Finally, we'll flag for you any planned legislation or workplace initiatives that have been put on ice for the time being, basically to help you identify what you might be able to take off your to-do list. If we have any time at the end, we'll comment briefly on recent press reports we've seen regarding the lending of labour to other businesses and how that might work in practice. So as with these previous calls, we'll explore these themes through a series of Q&A led by me, and let's get started. So team, um, we're obviously um, experiencing new developments in all of our jurisdictions week to week at this stage. Um, in the UK uh, this week, the government has published some guidance to clarify some aspects of the coronavirus job retention scheme, which is the UK's new furlough arrangement. It clarified, for example, that employees can be furloughed multiple times. They can be furloughed, brought back to work, and then re-furloughed again. However, some areas remain... Oh, sorry. Um, could I just ask all callers to mute their lines, please, by pressing star six? That would be really helpful. Many thanks. Um, 
some areas around the coronavirus job retention scheme remain unclear. For example, how furlough interacts with annual leave, and I'll be coming on to that later in this call. Um, in addition, only today there's been fresh announcements on pensions, and um, I don't want to steal her thunder, so Helen will be covering those later on as well in this call. Um, let's go to some of the other jurisdictions. Arnold in the Netherlands, I think you've got some news to report that has uh, sort of European-wide effect, right? Well, as you may recall, in the, in the Netherlands, there's an emergency scheme by which uh, by which companies receive a, uh, receive a subsidy of up to 90% of their wage bill for a period of three months. Um, and there are a couple of developments in that respect, and also, yes, indeed, some European developments. Uh, firstly, uh, the new scheme in the Netherlands was opened last Monday, and as you can imagine, it's hugely popular in only three days. 67,000 companies have applied for the new schemes, and 9,000 companies have already received payments at the tune of 230 million euros. Um, secondly, the measure was amended over the weekend, and in short, there's significant discounts on the subsidy uh, applied if redundancies are requested, or if the wage bill um, is reduced uh, over the period of March through the end of May, compared to the January payroll. And this disproportionately uh, affects companies with less turnover loss than 100%. Uh, and thirdly, um, the Dutch subsidy scheme is for three months. There's an extension possible, and that's actually quite a distinct possibility. And in that respect, the European Commission has uh, proposed a new program, the SURE program, which means support to mitigate unemployment risks in an emergency, that's the abbreviation, and it tends to lend 100 billion euros to member states to use for short-term working schemes and wage subsidy schemes. Coupled with a call from our parliament to broaden the measures, uh, it is quite likely that uh, the Dutch subsidy scheme is going to be extended. Plus, so 100 billion there, um, Arnold, that uh, really underlines the, the, the cost of, of this particular crisis. Um, Olivier in France, do you have anything to report? Olivier, maybe we'll come back to you. Uh, let's move on to Belgium. Uh, Inga, what have you got to tell us? Hi, Vicky. Well, the protective measures that were imposed by the Belgian government had already been extended until 19 April 2020. And no further extension has been announced by the government at the moment, but the expectation is that we will see an extension until at least 3 May 2020. On the other hand, the government has appointed an expert panel consisting of 10 scientists, economists, and top managers to advise on the gradual phasing out of the Corona-19 measures. And this will help determine which sectors will open again, in what order, and under what conditions. And the president of the expert panel is thinking of an accordion strategy, where measures can be loosened and tightened again as the circumstances evolve. No clear exit strategy has been designed for the workplace yet, but experts are also thought to be looking into tracing apps and immunity testing as a way out. And how to find a solution for the specific challenges at the workplace will of course be an important issue, not only in Belgium, but also for all jurisdictions. 
that's a really good point, um, Inga. I think that's something we're all going to be grappling with over the course of the next weeks and months to follow. I think mm -hmm. we might now have Olivier back. Um, Olivier, are you around to talk to us about French developments this week? We may be having some technical difficulties with that line. So let's move on to Italy. Uh, Livio, how are things with you? Yeah, thank you, Vicky. Uh, let me say that the last week has been uh, pretty quiet in terms of new legislation in Italy. Nevertheless, we have to highlight uh, that just yesterday night, uh, a new emergency decree has been issued. Is called the Decreto Liquidità. Among the other measures, uh, more focus on obviously on ensuring stability and cash for the companies. This decree has set out important provisions to simplify loans to the company during the crisis with very favorable uh, banking interest. Uh, it gives also extended some benefit from a tax and pension standpoint that maybe we can explain later in this call, and has confirmed also the engagement of the Italian government to finance the social furlough measure. About this last point, always yesterday, we had also to highlight that the Minister of Labor has issued a new circular by means of which some practical recommendations have been set out. In the coming days, because the 13th of April is an important date in Italy because we expect other development, Probably the government will extend for another 30 days the ban and prohibition of the companies to dismiss uh, people uh, for redundancy and economic reason. But obviously, we have to wait the coming days to confirm that. We'll be keeping an eye out for that. Um, let's go to Spain, Sylvia. Do we have Sylvia? Maybe having some difficulties with Sylvia. Um, let's let's go to Brian in the US. Hi, Vicky. Can you hear me well? We can hear you. Okay, great. So there's, there's been no major new legislation in the US. Um, as you know, the, the two major pieces of uh, US legislation is the Family First Coronavirus Response Act, which dealt with leave implications, and then the CARES Act, which was the stimulus bill. But there was guidance um, introduced under the Coronavirus Response Act that uh, relates to employees' rights to sick leave and, and um, family and medical leave that generated some controversy. Um, and the Democrats in the US have, have um, disputed some of the guidance. So it'll be interesting to see where that ends up. The biggest part of dispute is whether an employer is required to have work at the time that the employee can access the leave. The guidance suggested that in addition to the employee being eligible under the, the, the general requirements under sick leave or family medical leave, um, and the legislation didn't say, and the employer had to have work for the employee during that period, but the guidance suggested that you do. So that's, that's a kind of debate at the moment, and it will be interesting to see where that lands. The second uh, provision is, um, even though the CARES Act uh, contained a, a very large amount of stimulus, there's a thought that that has not been sufficient, and so there may be another round of stimulus introduced, which may have um, other employment restrictions, and so it's uh, watch this space. And indeed we will. Um, Gilles in Luxembourg, what have you got to tell us? 
Thank you, Vicky. Um, I would like to speak about two measures that have been introduced over the last days. The first one concerns collective missiles, social plans. Under normal circumstances under Luxembourg law, social plans are subject to a very stringent timeline, which means that the process can be done within a few weeks. However, this specific timeline has been suspended uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, and therefore um, it effectively means that trade unions and employee representatives can delay the process for several weeks or even months. And most commentators say that collective dismissals are de facto virtually impossible at the moment. However, individual economic dismissals remain perfectly possible. And the second measure concerns employees who are on long-term sick leave. Normally, after 26 weeks of sickness, um, dismissal protection, which, which exists in Luxembourg, then falls away. Uh, again, this measure has been suspended, which means that even if employees are sick for longer than 26 weeks, at the moment, they keep their dismissal protection. So very uh, employee protective rules that have been introduced over the last days. Many thanks, you. And finally, on this topic of new developments, we're going to go to Germany and hear from Markus. Thank you very much, Vicky. Can you hear me well? I can indeed. Thank you, Markus. Great. So what happened in Germany, not so much this week, actually. Um, I, one very important thing, however, was announced yesterday night. Um, in one of the last calls, I mentioned that in Germany, we are currently um, and dealing with a pretty big problem when it comes to decisions of the Works Council. Um, the Works Council in Germany is obliged by law to have all the decisions they make in internal meetings to make them in personal meetings. So they have to meet and then, uh, then they have to make a vote and, and that has to happen personally. Um, that is pretty important because uh, such a decision, such a vote uh, needs to be made um, prior to every agreement which is concluded with the, with the employer, like for example shop agreements, in particular right now um, at the moment, for example, shop agreements which deal with short-time work. Um, so uh, the introduction of short-time work does require, um, if it works counters in place, a shop agreement in most um, cases. And the question arose, how can that happen if most of the works council members are working from home? Um, so the discussion arose whether or not um, works council decisions can be made via um, telephone conference or video conference. Um, this has been um, hopefully um, solved, uh, or this is going to be hopefully solved um, very shortly. Yesterday, the government announced that they are um, planning to um, introduce new legislation in that respect, which um, shall um, um, allow the works council to have uh, internal decisions um, in video conferences or telephone conferences limited in time um, um, for this year. And, and that is most important with retroactive effect. So this legislation is going to um, um, also apply to any um, um, votes which already have been done in the past so that the risk that decisions of the worst company has, have been made, uh, have been void um, should be remote. There's some really good examples there of, of some of the um, workplace practices that are really having to adjust quite quickly 
to this um, new world that we are in at the moment. But let's move on from new developments to talk about arrangements in place in some locations to suspend the employment of workers and help them spend time on leave to ride out this crisis as an alternative to employers making redundancies. Here and in the US, as I said, this is referred to as furlough arrangements or leave. There are a number of locations across the globe that have been facilitating these arrangements with some governments stepping in to underwrite employment costs for employees while their employment is suspended in this way. As I mentioned earlier, the UK government has put in place the coronavirus job retention scheme and one of the gaps in the scheme guidance has been how furlough arrangements interact with annual leave, in particular whether employees can take or be required to take leave during furlough. Apologies, I think we can hear somebody tapping. If you wouldn't mind putting yourselves on mute, that would be very helpful. Thank you. Um, sorry, could, could I ask you to put yourselves on mute? Thanks so much. Um, so there are questions about, um, about whether or not you can essentially force people to take leave during furlough, and if so, at what rate that leave should be paid. ACAS guidance has suggested that it wasn't actually possible to take leave during furlough. And of course, broadly speaking, most employers will want employees to take their annual leave during any furlough period to get the maximum benefit out of the scheme, and also to avoid there being a large holiday accrual left over when, holiday, when employees are able to return to work. Unfortunately, the new guidance that's been published this week didn't address this particular question. However, I'm pleased to report there is some hope today that we may have an answer. Uh, specifically, HMRC, um, our government tax office, um, has tweeted overnight that where an employee is on holiday or has a scheduled bank holiday while on furlough, they are entitled to still receive this holiday and they've also gone on to say that employers must ensure that any employee on holiday or a bank holiday is paid their full salary for that period of holiday. So what this means in practice is that those employers who have furloughed employees and decided to top up, not to top up the 80% pay rate that the government is contributing to, um, they will need to ensure that they top up the holiday pay to the full rate for those days of holiday. Um, Brian, are you seeing any issues in practice with furlough over there in the US? Yeah, thanks, Vicky. So in addition to the, the question I raised earlier, the question about whether employees on furlough are entitled to sick leave or family medical leave under the Coronavirus Response Act, the, the issue that we're finding is most commonly coming up for employers is how they treat exempt employees. So in the US, there's a distinction under the Fair Labor Standards Act between non-exempt employees and exempt employees, where exempt employees are, are salaried employees and the non-exempt employees are hourly employees. With your hourly employees, employers have flexibility in terms of uh, furlough in terms of not paying them if they're not providing any work. With exempt employees, the law is clear that if an exempt employee provides any work during the period, they're entitled to be paid their full weekly salary. So even if a furloughed employee is on furlough but has to type a few work emails, they're entitled to be paid for the whole week. The other question that's arising is, can you treat categories of employees differently? For instance, put your part-time employees on furlough while keep your full-time employees. Um, now, the answer to that question is yes, but any distinction should be based on objective criteria, and the employer should be wary of issues like discrimination uh, 
uh, unlawful discrimination if they're distinguishing between different groups of employees. Thanks so much, Brian. Um, Inga, in Belgium, I understand you've experienced some complexities, haven't you, around holiday and sickness in the context of these arrangements? Um, yes, indeed. Um, so, as you know, we have this system, um, this system of temporary unemployment, and it's already existed well before uh, COVID-19, uh, but it is now um, simplified to, to also apply for all the COVID-19 cases. And the, the basic principle is that um, when people are on temporary unemployment, employees receive unemployment benefits from the state uh, for as long as their employment agreement is suspended. Um, and then the question is, of course, what happens when uh, an employee on temporary employment falls ill or has taken planned holidays? Well, in such cases, and when an employee has planned a holiday um, during the period of, of temporary employment, or if they fall ill, they cannot benefit from temporary employment allowances anymore. So in that case, um, during their holiday or their sick leave, they will be entitled to either state sick pay or um, holiday pay. Uh, another point was whether the employers needed to pay a supplement because the, the basic payment is paid by the state, uh, but this is limited to 70% of a capped salary. And, and this capped salary is, is approximately 2,000 euro across maximum per month. And so the um, question was whether these individual employers can pay an additional supplement on top of these allowances. Well, this is possible, but employers are generally not required to pay a supplement unless this is required under sector or company arrangement. But when the employer does decide to pay such a supplement, this can be done without ensuring social security contributions, but only if the total income received by the employee during the period of temporary employment does not exceed the employee's normal net salary. Um, and maybe as a final practical point, um, employees may alternate between days of temporary unemployment and normal days of work. For instance, an employer could agree that an employee performs normal work on Monday and Tuesday and then takes temporary unemployment for the remainder of the week. But it is not possible to use temporary unemployment for only a part of a working day. And for example, you cannot employ an employee in the morning and then put them on temporary unemployment for the afternoon. So temporary unemployment can only apply to full days. Um, Inga, that was a very helpful and clear explanation. In fact, I may be mistaken, but it sounded as though you, you got a round of applause midway through that. So perhaps <laughs> I could just remind, for remind, <laughs> remind our friends and colleagues to, uh, to mute themselves while we're on the line and um, save any applause, please, for, to the end of the end of our session today. Um, let's turn to uh, Markus in Germany. Thanks much, Vicky. Yeah, what we are talking about in Germany with regard to a short time work, how we call it um, at the moment, is um, um, the relationship between short time work and redundancies. Many companies start to realize that maybe um, um, having support from, from uh, the government um, for a period of time is not sufficient. Maybe this crisis will have more long-term impacts, um, which um, also might uh, require uh, headcount reductions. Um, the problem here is that in, uh, theoretically, 
um, short-time work and redundancies are possible um, at, at the same time, or, or first short-time work and then redundancies, but not based on the same reason. Um, reason for that is short-time work or being funded by the German government for short-time work requires that um, the loss of work is just for a um, temporary time, so for a limited period of time. Um, redundancies can only be enforced if um, um, the um, employment um, becomes, becomes re uh, redundant for a not limited period of time. Um, so it's either or, it's a pretty black or white decision. Um, so what happens if an employer um, applies for, thank you very much, um, applies for short-time work uh, fundings by the uh, German government, um, gets this fundings um, on the assumption that in two, three, four, five, or even 12 months, everything is going to be better. And then after a few months realizes it's not. And uh, now he has to um, lay off some, some people and um, make um, headcount reductions. Um, in that scenario, if there is no very precise differentiation between the reasons uh, why the employer has applied for short-term work and why the, how the employer justifies the terminations of employment relationships, um, there is a risk that the employer might have to pay back the funds he has received from the government. Um, so discussions are still ongoing, how precise that needs to be. Um, but um, and one is for sure employers are well advised that at the moment when they apply for short-time work, everything should be very well um, and noted and, and, and put down in writing what the reasons are for that, so that um, in later period of time after a few months when um, headcount reductions become necessary, um, it can be argued why the reasons for that are different. That's really helpful. Thanks, Marco. Um, Livio, um, in Italy, am I right in thinking that as many as 90% of employers are following their staff staff? Yes, exactly, Vicky. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the, the social furlough is, is something in Italy like a very important instrument to face the crisis. So since the beginning, as already said in, my, in our previous calls, the, uh, the social farmer called Casta Integrazione Guadagni in Italy was used by uh, many, many uh, companies. And as correctly you said, now we are around 90% uh, of the companies have an interest in farmer arrangement for their employees. What we saw in the, uh, let me say, in Italy in the last week is the increase of uh, practical issues and concern of the clients uh, and of the employees to get access to these instruments. First of all, uh, there is a delay of payment of FARLO from the Social Security National Body, and therefore some banks and financial institutions agreed by the minister and by the unions, of course, undertake to ensure the anticipation of the FARLO to, uh, to the employees. As a second point, the decree issued just yesterday um, and extended the possibility to benefit from the furlough also to the employees hired during the emergency. So this means that even the employees hired in the period identified between the 23rd of February until 17th of March can benefit from the social furlough. And lastly, another issue that we identified with our clients concerned the fact that if the company as offices and plants around Italy, so not only in a, in a city, but uh, in more than five Italian regions, the companies 
the company has to enter into a specific agreement with the Minister of Labour. So this means that the instrument, which initially was presented like a simple procedure, can be maybe more complex now. But in any case, uh, we, we have to follow the recommendation of the Minister of Labour, especially for the big company, with aiding interest in different regions. Thanks very much, Livia. That's a very comprehensive update. Um, let's shift gears a little bit now and turn um, quickly, if I may ask our speakers, to discuss some of the complexities arising in relation to the onboarding of new employees. Are new formalities required? Are you being asked questions about postponing start dates? or even retracting offers of employment altogether. And with that, let's go first to uh, Belgium, Inga, because I understand that the issue of formalities there is, is something of a, a pressing uh, issue. Yes, indeed, Vicky. Well, a large majority of the Belgian companies have now been transitioning their employees from their physical office to working remotely. But a hurdle is now indeed arising is how to recruit and onboard new employees. Because at the end of the recruitment process in Belgium, um, the original employment agreement is typically signed in a face-to-face -face meeting. And you need an original employment agreement. A, a, just a scan document is not sufficient. And having an original employment agreement becomes, of course, much more complex when uh, everyone is working remotely. And what we see in practice is um, that some of the recruitment efforts are nevertheless continued. But now via video calls or conference calls, and that a practical solution is now being arranged so that scans of original signed documents are exchanged, with then afterwards an agreement to exchange complete originals by post or physically at a later date. And another alternative is to sign via electronic signature. However, the situation in Belgium is not straightforward. Legislation to allow for the e-signing of employment contracts has been approved and enacted, but is not yet fully operational. And this brings some legal and practical difficulties in relation to the e-signing of employment contracts in Belgium. Um, indeed, that, that does introduce some, some difficulties, doesn't it? Um, thanks for that, Inga. Um, mm -hmm. Gilles, perhaps we can now come to Luxembourg and hear a little bit from you about trial periods. Do we have Jill? Okay. What, let's move on to Livio in Italy, where I understand that um, you've got a reasonable amount of questions around the possibility of postponing employment. Yes, Vicky. Yeah, this issue I personally faced with uh, with clients uh, concerning possible postponement or withdrawal of an hiring process, as you say. Uh, the typical case uh, is referred to an offer of employment, uh, for example, made and signed before the emergency outbreak, and the need now of a company that the hiring will no longer take place or is just postponed. So, uh, and it is more frequent than I, uh, that I uh, thought. Even if there are no precedent in Italy, I think also in other countries, uh, the solution is, in our opinion, is in civil law, so companies are trying to reasonably apply the concept of force majeure to such cases. But it's not simple because it's a question of evidence. 
In our view, um, this is possible only for companies who are really in a situation of crisis. So they have to show that in any case, they do not really anymore these, uh, these employees. Companies that are in redundancy cases in normal circumstances, even if now is prohibited, but in any case, the concept remains the same. And they, are, they must be able to show that at the hiring moment, the COVID-19 issue was completely unpredictable for the company. Oh, that's interesting. Thanks, Silvio. And I'm interested, actually, Arnold, in the Netherlands, whether or not force majeure as an argument works there in order to avoid taking on potential hires. Yeah, well, to postpone the start date, well, not really in the Netherlands. It's uh, using force majeure is such a very high threshold, which uh, under Dutch employment law is generally not accepted. So in the Netherlands, what we see is different ways for, for postponing a start date, which are more useful. Um, uh, one, of course, with consent. So we hear from clients that new hires actually generally understand the postponement of the start date. A second option is if an employment offer has not yet been accepted, it could be retracted if that right has been retained, or alternatively, um, if a probation was agreed, uh, the employment agreement could be terminated during that probation period. And even Dutch courts also accept that a probation clause can be invoked before employment actually starts. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, I'm going to try and go back to Gilles in Luxembourg on trial period, if he's been able to connect. Maybe not. In that case, let's move on to the topic of executive compensation. Um, now, this has received a lot of focus in the British press this week, in particular, businesses within certain sectors that are taking advantage of the government's furlough scheme are being scrutinised to see whether their highest paid employees and executives are going to be, for want of a better phrase, sharing some of the pain that the broader population is likely to be feeling following the sudden downturn in economic activity. Um, the government has made clear that it wants shareholders to be satisfied that executive pay is in line with the experience of wider business stakeholders. Although specific legislation to curtail executive compensation has not been uh, enacted in response to the pandemic crisis, pressure is coming from a number of important stakeholders. A large asset manager is reported as having written to all FTSE 350 companies uh, recently, cautioning that where companies seek additional capital, it would expect boards to suspend dividends and reconsider management's remuneration. In financial services, the PRA, one of the financial regulators, has written to the seven largest banks requesting that they do not pay cash bonuses to material risk takers. What we're seeing in response to this are almost daily announcements from big business that they have implemented pay reductions for board members and senior managers to help preserve cash in businesses and signal solidarity with their workers. So it's clearly an important issue from a reputational perspective and one that we expect to see sustained focus on this year. Brian, I'm interested um, in the experience in the US and whether you're seeing similar pressure there. Yeah, there's a lot of commonality uh, between the UK and the US. The first thing to note is if, if an employer is seeking 
funds under the CARES Act, they have to agree to executive compensation restrictions. There are restrictions for employees earning more than $425,000, and then there's even stricter restrictions for those earning more than $3 million. For regular employers, it's also just, uh, even though it's not required in any legislation, in response to the crisis and, and you know, rising unemployment, uh, a number of uh, executives in the US are taking uh, pay cuts. Uh, there's been reports that many companies, uh, the CEO has been taking salary reductions and also the management team, although the percentage of CEOs taking reductions is a lot more than regular management team, and in some companies, the CEO has agreed to take uh, no, no salary while the crisis is going on. But a lot of companies are still uh, playing a wait-and-see approach to see how long the crisis goes on. Thanks, Brian. Um, just a gentle reminder, if I may, that everybody on the line, if you could just mute your phones, that would be very helpful indeed. Thank you. Um, let's try Luxembourg and see if Gilles managed to connect with our call. Maybe not. I wonder, in that case, let's go to the Netherlands and Arnold, I don't know whether you want to just touch on um, the EBA recommendations, which I know Gilles was going to post us on in his briefing. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Um, so, so the EBA, of course, is asking banks to not pay out dividends and be conservative uh, in paying bonuses. Um, we, we see, just coming on to, to Brian's point and your point, Vicky, in the UK and US, we see similar pressures on companies not just restricted financial uh, institutions, uh, on restricting executive comp or uh, distributing dividends. Many companies in the, in the Netherlands are holding off or cancelling bonus payments to their senior management. Um, the Dutch Association of Shareholders is recommending uh, all listed companies in the Netherlands to not pay out bonuses to their uh, executive board members. And uh, this maybe ties into a wider point, and that's the public perception of taking governmental money, uh, and particularly combined with bonus or dividend payments. Um, companies should, uh, should consider this reputational aspect of making use of, uh, of the emergency measures. In the Netherlands, for instance, the Socialist Party put a motion forward a couple of days ago to forbid governmental support to companies that still pay out dividend or bonuses. Now, even though it was rejected by Parliament a couple of days ago, the cabinet, including the prime minister, confirmed it's not in the spirit of the emergency measures to use it and still pay dividends. So com companies should consider this, uh, this aspect as well, Vicky. Thanks very much, Arnold. And while I like to think that you're dispensing your employment law advice from the depths of a beautiful garden where I can hear birds song, I suspect that isn't the case. So again, if I could just ask all callers to mute their phones, that would be very helpful. Um, finally, on executive compensation, I'd like to see whether we can manage to connect with Olivier in France. Yes. Can you hear me now, Vicky? We can. It's delightful to hear you. Excellent. Um, so yes, executive compensation has also received a lot of focus in France. We are first seeing an increasing number of clients come to us with a request to decrease employer salary up to top management level, uh, which can only be done after consultation of the Social and Economic Committee and can only be offered to employees as opposed to unilaterally enforced. On distance, companies that benefit from a temporary postponement of payment of taxes and contributions cannot pay dividends, 
Otherwise, they would be required to pay these taxes and contributions with a penalty. And when implementing furlough, <laughs> companies are only encouraged not to pay dividends and no formal prohibition has been enacted in France so far. And finally, we see many banks deciding not to pay dividends, such as Société Générale, BNP Paribas, Latixi, Crédit Agricole. And in other sectors, similar decisions are being taken, for example, Airbus, Auchan, Engie, Safran, and also general assemblies are being postponed, such as within LVMH or AXA. And on the other end of the scope, some large companies have decided not to use state aids, such as L'Oréal, Total, or Hermès, which therefore keep the possibility to pay dividends. Um, thanks very much, Lydia. I mean, that's a really good example, I suppose, of how um, businesses need to really consider sort of broader reputational considerations, don't they, um, as they're making their pay decisions, you know, in the light of this crisis. Um, I'd like to turn now to the question of pensions and what's happening there. Um, Helen, delighted that you've been able to join us today. I think there's been quite a bit going on on this front in the UK, hasn't there? Uh, there has. Thank you, Vicky. Yes, even even today we have new developments, so this call is very timely. Um, so thinking about um, whether employers have to maintain the same level of contributions as they pay now or whether they can reduce um, those contributions to reflect the environment that's happening. Um, and really we've got several elements to that. There's Part of it is to do with the scheme rules, part is to do with the temporary arrangements that are in place, like in the UK, the coronavirus job retention scheme, the CJRS. And then there's issues about the law and some new flexibilities that were just announced this morning by the regulator in the UK. So the first issue is around the scheme rules. Employers may have some flexibility in how the scheme rules define pensionable pay and in whether they can scope to specify a different level of pensionable pay or to fix pensionable pay as furlough pay, for example, for this period. And in some schemes, there may also be provisions that would allow an employer to reduce contributions during a period of absence that isn't family leave. And it might be the case that you could use that to cover a furlough period. So the first rule always is to check the rules of your pension scheme. If we're talking about furloughed employees, then the coronavirus job retention scheme, the CJRS, will cover pension contributions up to a limit but that limit is based on minimum auto-enrolment contributions of 3% of qualifying earnings, and then it's capped in line with furlough pay. Now, in reality, many employers calculate pension contributions a different way. So, for example, they're based on the whole of basic pay, they're not limited to the qualifying earnings band, and many offer higher rates of employer contributions. And any excess compared to minimum auto-enrolment contributions is going to remain an employer cost. So under the CJRS, employers can choose whether or not to pay any top-up salary, but they are bound by the rules of the pension scheme in terms of the contributions payable. They don't automatically get reduced by reference to the CJRS. Now, for employers with a defined benefit scheme, they can claim the same monetary amount um, under the CJRS. But more importantly for DB schemes, the pensions regulator has opened up the possibility of temporarily suspending future service contributions. Now that's something employers need to keep, take careful advice on. You don't want to find that you accidentally triggered the winding up of your pension scheme, but it's possibly an avenue worth exploring. 
So if none of that helps you, can you reduce contributions to a defined contribution or a money purchase scheme? That is, can you actually change the rules of the scheme to pay lower employer contributions? Well, in theory, yes, an employer can reduce defined contribution amounts that it has to pay to, and the lowest that it can reduce them to is the auto-enrolment minimum. But consultation requirements would apply if you need to amend the scheme rules to do that. Um, so a reduction in the amount of employer contributions to a DZ scheme is what's known as a listed change. It requires a 60-day consultation period. And obviously that length of consultation isn't practical in crisis conditions. So just this morning, the pensions regulator announced some temporary extra flexibility. So essentially where you are only reducing employer contributions for furloughed employees and where you're only doing it temporarily for the period of furlough, then for the moment, the regulator will not take action if you don't do a full 60-day consultation. As a minimum, you have to inform the affected workers about the reduction, but you don't have to do the full 60-day period. Now, for anything outside of those conditions, so a reduction in employer contributions that affects a wider segment of the workforce or that isn't strictly limited to the period of furlough, for anything like that, the full 60-day consultation requirement still applies. Um, it's worth saying that failure to consult properly doesn't make any change to the rules void, but the pensions regulator has power to impose a financial penalty for breaching the regulations. And the new guidance, I think, shows that the regulator clearly does not intend employers to have a free pass to reduce contributions. So if an employer is in circumstances where it urgently needs to make changes that aren't covered by today's easement, then uh, I would recommend that you get advice on the level of risk involved and the potential mitigating factors in relation to any penalty that might come later. Thanks very much, Helen. It sounds as though our, you know, our, our reward um, professionals are going to have an awful lot on their to-do list at the moment, getting to it with all that. Um, Brian, in the US, I understand there's been some um, revisions that impact both employers and employees in the context of, of retirement plans. Is that right? Yes. Thanks, Vicky. In the US, the CARES Act contains a number of different provisions that affect both employers and employees. Um, I'm just going to refer to two provisions today. The first provision for employers are those employers that have single employer defined benefit plans in which contributions were due in 2020. That has now been delayed until January 1, 2021. And the second provision for employees, employees are able to make temporary withdrawals subject to certain limits from tax-qualified plans such as 401k plans and their individual retirement accounts, their IRAs, without um, early, early withdrawal tax penalties. Thanks, Brian. Um, Sylvia, I'm very much hoping we've been able to connect with you now. Um, are, are we able to hear from you on Spain? Yeah. Uh, can you hear me now? We can. Great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Well, in Spain, at least for the moment, companies will have to continue to either make the same level of contributions to pension plans and the same level of social security contributions. However, there have been two new measures with respect to moratorium or deferral of the payment and debts of social security contributions. Particularly, social security may grant upon request by companies 
moratoriums of six months without interest for the social security contributions corresponding to the period from April to June of 2020, provided that certain legal requirements that will be regulated soon, probably next week, are met, and that the activities that companies carry out have not been suspended due to the state of alarms that we uh, have here in Spain. Um, on the other hand, companies, as long as they do not have deferrals already in force, may request until the 30th of June the deferment in the payment of their debts with Social Security, whose entry period takes place between months uh, of April and June 2020, with an interest of 1.5%. And lastly, I, I, I should comment as well that it has been approved the possibility that pension plan participants who are in a situation of unemployment or cessation of activity derived from the health crisis caused by COVID-19 may have access to certain amounts of their pension plans that until now were blocked. So that's what has been established in Spain. That's very interesting. Thank you very much, Sylvia. Um, Thank you. Let's go to Italy, um, finally, on the question of, of pensions and retirement arrangements. Um, Livio, anything to report there? Yeah. Thank you, Vicky. Uh, let me say that the situation is very similar to Spain. Uh, I mean, the decree issued yesterday night and published today uh, has clearly confirmed that all the payments due to uh, tax, social security, and mandatory insurance against injured work are suspended until 30 of June. This means that after the period, the employer can decide or to pay them in one shot or to pay in five installments without application of any penalty or interest or additional fee. Uh, in terms of same level of contribution, obviously they remain the same unless the employee, uh, the employee is in furlough. In this case, uh, if the employee is in furlough, no um, contribution are due, but in any case, the employee has right to maintain the same length of service. So the period of, of furlough is counted for the seniority for the uh, pension um, for the pension purposes. Thanks very much, Livio. So by way of a final question, you know, I feel as though we've we've been coming up with a load of stuff for our um, callers today to kind of add to their to-do list, and I'm wondering whether we can help them out by flagging um, any legislation or initiatives that have been withdrawn or put on hold in response to the, um, the, the current pandemic crisis. Um, certainly in, in the UK, I'm pleased to report there are two important initiatives that have, have been put on ice for the time being. Plans changes to IL35 or the off-payroll working rules in the private sector relating to contractors operating through personal service companies um, has been delayed until the 6th of April 2021, uh, which will be welcome news for businesses who perhaps are not quite ready for the change. It does, however, raise some questions for those who had already changed their contractual arrangements and processes in anticipation of those changes. Um, I think many will take the view that it's probably best to leave the new arrangements in place, and indeed a number of large businesses have come out and said that that's what they intend to do, but it will be very much a case-by-case -case decision. Um, 
The other area of minor respite is in relation to the annual gender pay gap reporting. Um, again, in response to this crisis, the government has announced the suspension of the pay gap reporting deadlines this year. Um, the deadline would have been the 4th of April. Um, in practice, uh, I understand more than 3,000 employers have already published their pay gap data for this year, and others will press on regardless on the basis that they had already done the work, and um, this is seen as an important work stream in continued efforts to narrow the gender pay gap over the longer term. Um, I understand, Helen, um, on the pensions front, there are also um, elements that have been put on ice for the time being. Thanks, Vicky. Yes. So, on the one hand, the UK pensions regulator has essentially put everything else, including very substantial changes to codes of practice and all its regulatory initiatives, all of that has gone on hold so that it's got the resources to deal with um, employers and schemes that need its help in the current crisis. But more importantly, we have a bill passing through Parliament at the moment whose progress has essentially stalled because obviously the focus is elsewhere. And I think when it comes back, it could potentially be looked at very differently as a result of this crisis. So one of the key elements of the Pension Schemes Bill is to introduce new criminal offences and really tough financial penalties for avoiding employer debts to a defined benefit pension scheme or for conduct risking accrued scheme benefits. So the idea is to crack down on reckless behaviour with a pension scheme. But there has been real concern that the offences in that bill are really widely drawn and they catch some perfectly standard types of uh, transactions and some perfectly normal corporate behaviour, as well as the reckless things. Um, and they also bring insolvency practitioners and other advisors within the scope of the penalties. So the question would be, why would you attempt a, re a restructuring or a corporate rescue if there's a risk that with hindsight, if that exercise fails, you might end up in jail for up to seven years or with a million pound fine? So the bill has the potential to put a real chill on corporate rescues. Now, on the one hand, that isn't currently the law. So at a time when we're likely to see a lot of restructuring activity, that's good news. Because the effect of the bill, if it were in effect, it would be likely to result in a much greater number of corporate failures. Um, but that is the direction of travel, and it builds on a moral hazard framework that's already in place. So um, obviously, you know, there is a need for caution as those restructuring activities go forward. But I do wonder whether once we're through this crisis, our legislators might look at that bill differently in light of the recognition of the importance of being able to restructure and to try to save an ongoing employer without the risk of a potential jail sentence or a significant fine hanging over everybody's head. Indeed. Thanks very much, Helen. Um, I think we are going to have to leave it there. Um, once again, we've covered a lot of ground and these sessions continue to show us that we remain in a dynamic and unpredictable environment. And I'm not just talking about our technology. There are numerous new rules and practices for us to get to grips with. In many cases, our governments are having to create the rules and building blocks for these new arrangements after they've been announced or even after they've started to be implemented. So it's a challenge. Um, one image that springs to mind for me is a sense of driving a car at some speed while the road is being laid down as we travel along. Um, but of course, as ever, we are here to help you navigate the ride and that requires us all to be thoughtful, of course, about the law, but also about social policy and reputational considerations. With that, on behalf of the Global Employment Team, we thank you very much for giving us your time today. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. 
We'll be taking a break next week. Um, for those of you about to break for a long weekend, enjoy yourselves. Um, we send our best wishes to you, your families and colleagues. Stay healthy and goodbye.